This is episode two of Blue Tiger Suit. Where did this all come from? A common misconception is that the furry fandom is a very recent phenomenon. That the prospect of people forming an exaggerated interest in anthropomorphism is recent development. Something that the kids are just doing these days. Something that is new, something that wasn't around back in my day. And while it's true that with recent technology that this fan has become increasingly more developed over the years, and thus forthwith the technology has connected farther than it ever has before, the idea of creating a fursona and bringing to life a fun character in anthropomorphic fashion actually dates back several centuries. If you look at everything from cave drawings to practices that the Romans used, uh, the Vikings, we've actually been using anthropomorphism on ourselves for several years. Um, we've been using this in theater, we've been using it as a form of expression. Um, yes, even in recent f centuries, uh, people have been creating their own suits. This is not, this is not something new. Um, I actually just saw a post on Twitter the other day where someone had posted a picture of someone wearing a fursuit and it was a black and white photo clearly dating back several centuries. Um, naturally this surprised much of the furry community on Twitter. They thought, oh, you know, that doesn't look like the suits that we have today. Um, and it absolutely didn't. It actually looked much more realistic than the cartoony suits that we have these days. But back then it was, uh, it was, it was still what would be considered a fursuit. It was someone kind of dressed up in an an uh, anthropomorphic style animal-based costume uh, for no reason other than to really just kind of goof off and to kind of... Uh, express the fun side of themselves. Um, it, it, it really wasn't for any reason other than to kind of psychologically use uh, the suit to decompress with. Um, I was at a recent interview with someone, uh, her name is Gail Frostbane, and she was actually talking a little bit about the history of the fandom and talking about her personal journey. And she was expressing this psychological experience that happens when you put on that head um, in conjunction with the rest of the suit. You become masked. I mean, obviously, I mean, no one can see your face. It's, it's very, you're very much masked. It's, it's a full covering. Um, but what's actually happening is you're psychologically able to, um, as my friend Jafet puts it, um, he, he actually goes so far as to say that you are experiencing a truer version of yourself. Um, so what's happening here is he, he strongly believes that we are not really ourselves until we can put on that mask, until we can express ourselves um, without that fear of judgment. He believes that that is the true version of ourselves. Um, and he's actually one of the best fursuiters that I know. Uh, JFED, if you're listening to this, you are a seriously cool dude. <laughs> I'm happy to connect with you. Um, JFED will actually be helping me on a uh, future project um, where he's going to talk about some of his experiences with fursuiting. So, no, this isn't anything recent. This is something that people have been doing for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. People have been putting on the mask, um, either in anthropomorphic fursuit style or uh, uh, on theater. Uh, we've seen actors put on masks before in ways where they can kind of hide themselves. Um, we've seen people walking around, again, in the Roman era, where people were wearing masks and, again, you know, kind of acting goofy. Um, I think of a lot of my friends in the mascot field who have been doing this for decades and decades and decades and decades. Um, I think of one of the very first significant mascots, the San Diego Chicken, and he actually um, was one of the first mascots to really experience and to say, 
okay, psychologically there's something happening here. Um, this is not a recent psychological development. Um, this is something that has been around for a very, very long time. So as you can see, this has been a choice for decompression for hundreds of years. It's not really a new thing the kids these days are doing. Um, although it, it is much easier for the kids to connect these days, especially in a society where our media is more anthropomorphic based in nature than it was. Um, back in the late 90s was when we really started seeing these conventions come to light. Um, but even uh, taking a step before that, in a recent interview that I had with Uncle Kage, who is a, uh, he has his PhD in chemistry from Dartmouth up in New Hampshire. And what he does is he actually oversees the world's largest furry convention, um, Anthrocon, which takes place in Pittsburgh uh, every year. And it has an international following. And it's actually so popular that the economics that it brings in for the city of Pittsburgh is roughly around $9 million annually. Um, in this recent interview, he said that he's actually seen this growing um, rapidly. Uh, he says that actually over the years that Anthrocon has been in the city of Pittsburgh, that he's seen them uh, go upwards of around $100 million. They said that they're actually uh, cumulative uh, approaching that point. But something that he was talking about was um, the early ages of furry before these conventions really started. And he talked about how conventions, uh, when he was younger, uh, Kage is around 55 years old, uh, but when he was younger, he said that conventions were more, um, they were more of a conglomerate of different interests rather than what we see today as the Comic-Con fandom, which is, you know, comic books, or the Star Trek fandoms, which is, obviously Star Trek. Um, it, th these were more conglomerates of, you know, if you were into anime, you know, you had the anime table. If you were into uh, Star Wars, you had the Star Wars table. And while he was at one of these conventions, he found this little table that said, you know, furry. And he became drawn to these anthropomorphized characters. Um, again, this isn't something new in recent human history, but something that as we become more connected as a society with technology and something that as we uh, have grown in our media, um, I'm going to be touching on our media in a second and how that's become more anthropomorphized over the years. Um, it, it's, it's definitely been easier for these people to connect. Um, Uncle Kage has a saying that furries aren't created, they're born. Um, I'm, I'm still grappling with whether or not I agree with that statement, but um, I believe that these people do grow up with an interest in anthropomorphism, and what they do is they connect with other people who also have that interest. And, you know, a few hundred years ago when we didn't have the ability to connect with people, you know, instantaneously from around the world like we do today, it was much more difficult to find these people and to connect with them. So in a world where we have technology that allows me to instantaneously connect with my friend Lifrin in Michigan and say, hey, how are you doing today? Uh, how How's the, the, the blue husky doing? Um, it's, it's instantaneous. And he's someone else who grew up with that interest in anthropomorphism. And it also leaves you feeling that you're not alone. Um, I, I grew up with an interest in anthropomorphism and always thought, this is weird. What's going on? And, you know, talking to my parents about it, my parents are like, no, this is, stop talking about this, stop thinking about this, you know, those furries, they're just weirdos. But then I started to, uh, much to my parents' disappointment, I, I started to expand and I started to realize that the, actually that there was a word for this. It was called furry. Um, I, I, I became a furry before I even knew what furry was. Um, so with this recent technology, we, we've, we've discovered that there are more people out there that think the way that we do, that people that 
see these characters and are like, I really want to do that. I want to create these characters. That that looks like fun. Um, and then when they throw on the suit, getting a psychological um, experience off of that, uh, a really, really positive experience where they're improving their lives and that of the, uh, those around them. So the first convention in notable history was called Conference. Yes, they, they love their uh, plan words. Uh, it, was, it was called Conference, and uh, it was in uh, California. I believe the year was 1997, and it was marketed, um, as Uncle Kage put it, when I asked him about it, he said, yeah, it wasn't very marketed uh, wholesomely. It was um, people, as he said, you know, doing fun things, not really caring what other people thought, and this, um, the, this early impression, he said, was a lasting impression. The media really took to this and said, oh, these furries, they're all perverts, they're weirdos, clearly they just don't care about what, what, what other people think about them, they just walk around and they do stupid things. Um, that's, that's what the first um, furry convention was like, uh, and it absolutely was unwholesome. It was uh, not something I myself would have attended, uh, and probably actually would have cringed a little bit at myself. <laughs> But the conventions continued to evolve, and the media kind of still hounded on it um, in the early 2000s. It was the butt end of many jokes. Uh, there were CSI episodes made about it, as I'm sure you've seen before. Um, it, it, it really did not gain a positive reputation until recent times, actually, until, until this past decade, when uh, organizations like Anthrocon really came to play and said, Okay, so you can go and, uh, as Uncle Kage put it, uh, this is still fresh in my mind, I was, I was chatting with him yesterday, he said, you can go and um, all that weird stuff, you can, by all means, go into your hotel room and, you know, we'll just be down here and we'll be enjoying the wholesome stuff. Um, keeping it kind of wholesome for people. Um, I've, I've, I've been to several conventions myself, uh, one locally in Boston, and when they lay down the ground rules and they say, hey, this is what you can do out on the convention floor and this is what you can't do, um, it's, it's actually, it, it chases away some of those unwholesome people and the convention becomes uh, very, very kid-friendly. Um, I, I, th I think of my recent experience at uh, Anthro New England, which was in Boston, and it was very wholesome. There were uh, parents with kids walking around, um, even in the dance competitions. They, they, they were cutting out some of the, uh, every so often they would have a bad word in one of the songs. And, it, and it's so wholesome that they actually cut that out because they had a bunch of uh, younger kids there. And uh, I, I can only imagine what was going through their parents' heads. But um, these conventions have become much, much more wholesome as the media has started to realize, oh, it's not just this weird fetishized thing, it's, it's really more of a hobby. Um, something else that's really, really interesting about furry as a, as a fan base is they are fans of themselves. I want you to take a second. That sounds really, really, really narcissistic. But uh, as, as Kage put it, it's uh, if you have a convention like Star Wars or you have a fan base like Harry Potter, those are consumers. Uh, furries are producers. We take the content and we are fans of work that we produce. We don't have something that we can point at and say, oh, this is what I do, this is what I'm a fan of because we're creating it as we go along. Whereas someone in the Star Wars fandom can say, ah, yes, Star Wars, here's my favorite character, here's this, here's this. Uh, furries don't really have that. So it's kind of a very, very unique fandom in that respect. Um, 
yeah so that's 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 how that works in the sense of how it's kind of a unique fandom over the past few years as it's been developing here in in society and the media doesn't really know what to do with that in the sense of you know you have this fandom where people are creating it as they go along this isn't like the star trek fandoms that we've seen and it looks bright and colorful with animal costumes and the first impression that we've had is these are all a bunch of weirdos that do stupid stuff in costume and i don't know that that sounds like a pretty easy target for me if you ask it just it, it sounds very uh you're literally painting a target on yourself um i think of gail in saying that this is the the easiest fandom to bully because you have someone goofing off in an animal costume she said that is that is bullying 101 right there <laughs> you're literally painting a target on yourself but what's happening is you're taking the energy that you have um i believe strongly we are created as humans to be humans um, I do not believe that we are, uh, some people will say that humans are animals, and uh, if if you have that position, I, I, I respectfully uh, agree to disagree there, but uh, I believe that we are humans, created to be humans, uh, very, very specially created in the role that we have, but I believe that we also have this energy um, that we see. I think of uh, in The Wizard of Oz, where you had the Cowardly Lion, and uh, I, I, I did a lot of research on that character actually you know as as a fan of anthropomorphism and apparently they specifically chose that actor because they said no one really has the energy like an animal like he does um so i think that this is really a bunch of creative people coming together with that extra creative energy and the only way that they can really express it is animal like it's not to say that they do really cringy animal based things but they just i th I, th I think of my my friend Jafet, who literally just bounces around but no one knows who he is and i think that's really really special actually so a little bit more about the history here so the earliest convention was back in 1997 conference i mentioned that already and then we started to see conference uh i'm sorry conventions start to uh pop up over the past uh early early 2000s we started seeing conventions like Midwest Fur Fest, we started, uh, which is out in Chicago. We started seeing conventions like Anthrocon, which is originally in Albany, New York. Uh, we started seeing conventions, uh, some based out in California. We started seeing them on the global stage, actually. Um, many people think this is just, oh, those weird Americans, but there's actually a very strong following out um, across the world. I've, I've seen many furries out in Australia, many furries out in the uh, uh, EU, um, they're they're everywhere globally. Um, you, you can't shake a stick without uh, maybe finding a furry or two. So we started seeing these conventions pop up, um, and then in the recent years, back in 2014, um, there was a notable convention, uh, Midwest Fur Fest, as I mentioned, out in Chicago. And this convention, so this is just tying into a little bit of the history uh, surrounding the hate fandom. That convention was actually gassed with chlorine. And Gail, who was there, uh, again, I, ju I just talked to her this past weekend, she said that from a first-hand experience, it was about one in the morning, and they had these alarms going off. You know, the fire alarm goes off, and everyone thinks, oh my goodness, you know, kind of like they do here at my school, who burnt whatever in the kitchen, this is awful, I just want to go back to bed. And then she said that they went towards the exit staircase, uh, as as you do, and she said it really smells like a pool, and it just it was very very strong, 
And actually, it's funny because she said that they were actually all still in suit. So she thinks that actually the gassing, what 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 happened with the suits is that actually helped them quite a bit because it was um, creating kind of a filter to some degree. Um, <laughs> more points for for the suits, but um, she said that they, you know, made it outside and you know, more and more trucks kept coming, more and more fire trucks. I just, she said that they came in droves, these police officers and these ambulances and these fire trucks. And this was a big problem because there was an airport nearby. And, you know, if there's an attack uh, near an airport, that's kind of a big deal, uh, let alone an attack on domestic soil, uh, regardless. And she said that a lot of these people uh, who are first actually uh, emergency medical uh, personnel, and she said people started reaching, you know, uh, convention attendees started running towards their cars and uh, taking, you know, their, their firefighter gear, their, you know, medical kits. And she said, this is apparently really serious. And she said that in the end, that all that they were really told was that there was a glass jar uh, that had been broken and that it released some sort of chlorine-based gas. And they still don't really know what happened to this day, but they believe that it was an act of hate. So that's, that's a recent history of the fandom, which was very, very significant, where uh, people were actually into the hospital for being furries. And this is unfortunately not very uncommon. Um, furries over the recent years have been the butt end of jokes on the internet, uh, physically when they're walking around. You can't really um, say furry without, you know, cringing a little bit and thinking, oh my goodness, that's awful. And maybe adding a joke or two about how we should hunt them. Uh, thankfully, that's starting to change a little bit. And Uncle Kage was starting to talk about that in the sense of, he said in the city of Pittsburgh, they've become so used to it, so welcoming to it, that he says that there was a shop owner, you know, looking at his phone, you know, probably scrolling through social media. And the, this group of raccoons walks down the street, you know, as, as they do on two legs, six feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> the fan is very interesting. Um, and he said that the person looked up from his phone, you know, oh, yeah, raccoons, and then just looks right back down to his phone. And he said that he believes that society will eventually get to that point where it's seen as something that is more accepted. Uh, I personally think that we have a long way to go, especially given our recent history back in 2014, which was uh, seven years ago to date for this recording. And... I, I don't know if we'll ever get to that point. I think that's a very optimistic view of where it's going. But I believe that these conventions continue to become more wholesome. Uh, it is the fastest growing fandom uh, internationally, actually. Uh, again, not just an American thing, but something that has a global uh, recognition at this point. There's been research done on it. There's been documentaries created on this. Uh, CNN even did a recent special on it with Lisa Ling as they kind of uncovered, you know, the people in the suits a little bit, which is something we'll be doing in this podcast as, as we continue to progress forward. I just wanted to lay out a little bit of the history for you. Um, people often say, where did this come from? Where did the blue tigers come from? Where did the pink foxes come from? Um, how does this make any sense? And I believe it strongly goes back to, as I mentioned earlier, it goes back to that psychological desire to goof off. But we also have that fear of judgment from other people. That's, that, that's, that's something that kind of lingers within each of us. And darn, I really wish that I could just goof off and go crazy uh, in a safe way, not, not a destructive way, absolutely. But just goofing off. Again, I think of uh, MOSFET, who 
attends conventions regularly and he has just this big bell around his neck and you can hear him coming from miles away and he just literally bounces and bounces and bounces and bounces and he's able to do that because no one knows who he is um i think of these people who are at these dance competitions some of these furries are uh, some of the best dancers that i've seen because they put so much into their routines that no one's looking at them thinking oh that was a really stupid move and I find it interesting, uh, pivoting for a second, how we pick and choose our anthropomorphism. Um, I am a furry. That's what I do. Uh, my, my definition of furry is someone who has an exaggerated interest in anthropomorphism. It's not people who like to um, apologize for the explicitness, but people who screw in animal costumes. I, I hear that frequently. Oh, so what do you do in the bedroom? I'm like, well, I sleep. Um, sleep is nice. Sometimes I take a nap. Um, what do you do in the bedroom? <laughs> um, no, I think I, th I think people often jump very, very quickly to some very harsh conclusions. But um, I, fi I find it interesting that we that we pick and choose our anthropomorphism because as a furry, I'm also a mascot, and it makes the mascot work very easy and very enjoyable because I already had that desire to bring an anthropomorphic character to life. Um, I am very quick to say I'll jump in suit um, and. Uh, in positions I've hired people who are also furries to jump in mascot costumes before because I know that they'll put on a great performance, they'll make people smile and they'll make people laugh as they always do. Um, but the people that look at the mascots, they're like, oh my goodness, this is the greatest thing ever, I want to take pictures with this, I want to learn more about what they do, who are they representing, oh my goodness, that mascot just put on a really, really great show. I, I want to become fans of this mascot. Can I get some merch? Can I get a, a stuffed animal made out of this mascot? But what we're doing is we're really picking and choosing what forms of anthropomorphism are acceptable. I touched on this in my introduction, but we, we learn from anthropomorphic animals. I want that to sit in for a second. We learn from anthropomorphic animals. I want you to flip back to your childhood for a second. And as I mentioned in the, uh, in the introduction, I want you to go back to that couch, uh, second grade, watching Wiley e. Coyote on the TV, uh, Saturday morning cartoons, very much like my friend Gail Frostbane did, uh, just sitting down, you know, watching Wiley e. Coyote. And she actually, in a recent interview that I did, uh, she said, I'll take that portal to Toontown, please. Uh, she was not referencing the, the, the Disney uh, park, uh, but she was actually referencing wanting to jump into the cartoon itself. And I, th I think that's why this largely exists, is because people see this, they think it's fun, they grew up on this, and this is people saying, I want to do that, I think that's fun. It's, it's, it's really an escape from, uh, not from life, uh, I, I believe life is something very precious, but it's an escape um, that allows us to step into something else for a second. Uh, it allows us to forget about the bills and to forget about uh, the, the paper that's due tomorrow. Um, it's, 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 it's an escapism. It, it, it allows us to t take some joy, but it's also non-permanent. Um, I, I, I throw on my first seat whenever I'm sad, and when I'm done being sad, I take it off. No one could ever tell that I was just in a fursuit, uh, save for a little bit of sweat on my brow, but no one could tell. Um, I, th I think of some other um, forms of expression in recent history that people do that is very, very uh, detrimental. I, c I can tell that someone maybe tipped the bottle a little bit too much. I can tell that someone uh, maybe opened a bottle that they shouldn't have and is in the hospital. Um, 
this is not to say that my form of expression is better than other people's by any means, but I've, I've chosen something that's non-detrimental. Back to the history. We, we pick and choose our anthropomorphism. When I'm a mascot, I waddle around as a penguin and people are like, my goodness, you are the greatest thing in the world. Um, but if I were to walk around in my blue tiger costume, people would say, ew, what's that? Oh my goodness, is that a furry? Why is there a furry here? I find that really interesting that we say that the characters that people create, um, as Gail puts it, may be different facets of ourselves. Uh, she, she has eight characters <laughs> of different genders, of different species, of different personalities. And she said that they're, that they're each uh, different facets of herself. And when we create these facets of ourselves and we go around, uh, that's, that's facet, by the way, not fascist, my goodness. Only in this day and age, um, different facets of ourselves. Um, people look at that and they say, "Ew, that's gross. Why? Why on earth would you do that?" Um, which, which is funny because these are the same people that also grew up watching Disney, watching uh, a lot of the same cartoons that I did myself growing up. We, we, we pick and choose what we watch. People go and they watch the, the, the Cats Broadway musical. I, I should probably tread lightly on that given the recent movie that came out, but we go and we watch uh, Lion King on Broadway. Pe people pay hundreds of dollars for those seats, you know, right up front to watch people dance around in animal costumes. But the second that you say, hey, do you want to see some real dancing at Anthrocon? People are like, oh my goodness, a furry convention? I would be caught dead there. But yet they just shelled out $200 to go watch people dance in costumes in Broadway. Why do, why do we pick and choose? And why do we continue to pick and choose over the history of this fandom? I encourage you to look at some areas of your life where you've been exposed to anthropomorphism. Take a second. How did you react to it? Maybe you met Wally the Green Monster over here at the Red Sox. Um, maybe you did watch that. Broadway musical with some fluffier characters. <laughs> um, maybe you saw a furry on a Reddit post. How did you how did you interact with that? Was it exciting? Was it was it sad? Were you trying to get out of there as fast as you possibly could? Like many of the people that I've mascoted around. <laughs> I love having that little six-year-old come up to me and is like, you are the scariest thing ever. I love you, but you're the scariest thing ever. Were you one of those people? <laughs> I encourage you to, next time you see someone expressing anthropomorphism, to consider why is this weird, but my Sunday morning cartoons weren't weird. My mom said, um, shor shortly after I told her about my interview with Gail, I, I, was, I was telling her about the tune aspect that, that, that Gail is drawn to so much. And my mom said, you know, some people watch Bugs Bunny and some people want to be Bugs Bunny. I've never understood the people that want to be Bugs Bunny. My mom is not a mascot. <laughs> um, she's, she's not a mascot, nor do I think she would ever um, wear a mascot suit. Mom, if you're listening to this, um, please don't touch any of the suits in my room. Thank you very much. Um, I don't I don't need those photos on social media how to embarrass your kid 101 um, no I, I I I encourage you to see how people interact with anthropomorphism around you 
And then maybe consider the people that spend thousands of dollars on these suits in recent history. Why did they do that? Uh, I think for the same reason, honestly, that we pour tens of thousands of dollars into collecting cars. Why people spend tens of thousands of dollars to strand themselves on a boat with 200 other people on a petri dish? Sorry at the cruise industry. Um, I don't think I'll take a cruise anytime soon, especially <laughs> given the recent climate. Um, people pay hundreds of dollars to go over to the UK, uh, my, myself included. Not, not a bash against traveling. I, I love to travel. Um, we, we invest in ourselves often. Can I ask gently, who are you to judge how I invest in myself? Especially if it's a way where I'm doing so safely with myself, safely with other people. And not only that, but I am directly benefiting myself psychologically. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a breather. <laughs> um, not, not excusing life's responsibilities, but saying, I'm just going to take a quick break and I'll be right, right back. Uh, much like I do when I'm in a mascot costume. Uh, trust me, the, the thing that's going through the lion's head is not uh, the, my, my tax returns. It's, oh my goodness, I'm bouncing around and I'm bouncing and I love this and bounce, bounce, bounce. Oh my goodness, this is great. Um, I think I think that's a well-deserved break <laughs> every now and then. Um, I, I, I encourage you to look around and look at yourself and think how you take a break. How do you decompress? Uh, you probably don't spend tens of thousands of dollars on animal costumes. I encourage you to take what I've talked about and maybe consider why people do it. Uh, and if you're still disdain towards it, uh, my goal is not to change your position, but rather to share the position and let you do with the material with what you wish. So that's, that's a brief history of furries. Starting in the late 90s, we have conference, kind of the big, bold first steps into society that were kind of rocky, uh, kind of stumbling, didn't, didn't exactly work very well. <laughs> and then you have some of the recent steps, uh, thinking of Anthrocon, Anthro New England. I strongly encourage you, um, here's, here's your homework. I'm sorry, I'm a college student. I hate the word homework as much as the next person, but I strongly encourage you to go to anthrocon.com or anthrownewengland.com and to check out some of these conventions. You don't have to buy a badge, you don't have to buy plane tickets and go down and rub elbows with some of these fluffy characters, but I encourage you to go on and actually read the things that no one reads. Go and check out their security policies, go and check out their uh, uh, code of conduct, and I, I, I encourage you to see how seriously people are taking these conventions. Uh, how seriously people like Gale and how seriously people like Uncle Kage are taking this work to make it a safe environment. I think absolutely at first, um, the conference back in the late 90s would have scared some people. Uh, absolutely. And it did scare some people. I think Anthrocon, though, and I think Anthro New England, I think is beautiful. I think the very fact that when I went to register for Anthro New England last year, that there was a parent in tow option for a registration, which I don't think you actually had to pay for. I think it was just uh, the child paid for their badge and you just kind of registered yourself as a parent in tow. Um, I, th I thought that was cool that that was an option because it shows that uh it's it's expanding and it is becoming it's it's, it's kid friendly and i think i think that's a beautiful beautiful thing that people are looking at this thing that oh my goodness this is unwholesome and gross and oh my goodness um like any fandom you have to be careful um you should see some of the other stuff they do in the other fandoms 
that's not to point fingers and to say oh you know they do it so we can do it too but it's, it's a matter of fact that people will uh, divert for lack of better word uh, i hope some of you know what i'm talking about but pe people will divert and people will choose some unwholesome things furries are not exclusive to that i want to say that again very slowly furries are not exclusive to that that's not meant to sound demeaning that's not meant to sound aha you didn't know this of course you didn't know this no that's 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 not how i hope to come across at all but furries are not exclusive to some of that diversion um it's 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 everywhere around you so that's the history uh you can do with it what you would like I encourage you to, to do some of your own research. Uh, I, I strongly encourage you to check out some of these fandom pages and maybe laugh out loud at some of the security things where in Anthony New England they say, please do not fly any RC flight craft in the lobby because clearly you know that that's happened and that some Yahoo took a helicopter and started flying it around the lobby. Um, the hotel staff at some of these conventions are some of the most uh, underappreciated people ever. Um, or that they say, please do not f throw paper airplanes off of any balconies. Because you know that a group of furries got the idea to throw a bunch of paper airplanes off the balcony. Probably wrote like a woo, what's this, in, in the paper and then shot it off the balcony. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, can, I can visualize that now. But... I strongly encourage you to go check out what some of the uh, conventions are doing to make it wholesome, to, to make it more inclusive as we're continuing to expand the fandom. So I'm going to say it again. I'm sorry. I sound like a broken record. That's the history. There you go. Do with it what you would like. Thank you. <laughs>